Hello, you big bunch of hooligans. How are you getting on? This episode of the Higher Training Podcast is going to be all about ego. Now, I'm sure you've heard about ego. Oh, wait for the drop. There we go. Sorry, just had to wait for it. I'm sure you've heard about ego, whether it's been in books that you've read, in music. I know if you're a Kanye West or a Beyonce fan, I'm 100% certain that you've heard of ego. It gets spoken about in popular culture so often, but a lot of the time it's talked about in only one sense, in only a one-dimensional way of looking at it, and that's about people who are really egotistical and full of themselves. In this podcast, we break down what ego is, some of the misconceptions, some of the people who popularized the concept of ego, and also how it all relates back to Greek mythology and little old Narcissus. Now, I am joined in this venture by Jane O'Toole. Now, Jane, also known as Jane Real Nutrition on Instagram, Jane is a nutrition coach and she works on a one-to-one basis and she also has a group program coming up very soon, so check out her Instagram. She also does a lot of guest speaking and is a main part of the Ask the Girls podcast on Lean Life Radio. On Ask the Girls, women submit questions about topics regarding health, fitness and wellness. The one thing I really love about Jane is her overall approach and look at nutrition. She puts a lot of emphasis into psychology, spirituality and has a lot of focus on evidence-based practice. If being the Christmas season, we even touch on Christmas eating and drinking. So belt up, baby. Boom. And we are live. Thanks again for coming on, Jane. Thank Um, you so much for having me. The big big overarching uh, topic for today is going to be ego, but... We we are going to be kind of going off the back of the podcast that uh, myself and Aura did, which was about the the myth of narcissists. And I'm not going to going to kind of go through that again because if people want to go back and listen to that, I kind of talk more about what actually happens in the myth in that one. But we're just going to talk about the ego side of it. And with, with ego, I find a lot of people kind of have a lot of misconceptions. You mentioned it before. Uh, so how would you define ego? Well, I think the problem is that people like ego is really, really multifaceted. It's really, really complex. But we view it like in general, people view it very much as you have a very high regard for yourself. Like someone likes themselves a bit too much. You're egotistical. It's always got those connotations of loving yourself too much, liking yourself too much. And that's where the kind of misconception of it is that it's it's so much more than that. It's so much more layered. And I suppose from different areas from be it the Latin origin into Greek mythology and things like that. But then moving into Buddhism and, you know, spirituality, there's all different layers and levels of what ego is, but there is kind of similarities and flow between them. And that is that there's a lot more to it than we actually automatically assume. And in the base of it, you know, there's even egos mentioned in like, I think even in like Christianity, it's used quite a lot in some of the gospels and stuff. Like there's there's so much more to it than what we think, which is just the you like yourself too much, they're up themselves or have a big ego. It's got positive and negative connotations, like yeah. in how you think of yourself. I think that's the first one that people go to. Um that's kind of coming back and I oh know the sound was coming up a bit funky. I thought I could hear myself on your end there for a second. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think people jump in that first one uh, is like to think ego was somebody who's really full of themselves and cocky. That's always the first thing to think of. But somebody whose ego could be affecting them could be somebody who maybe won't 
speak out in front of other people because they're afraid of what they will say or that maybe they'll say the wrong thing. That can also be your ego at play, I find. Very, very much so. Like people don't realize that the ego can be like a shell that you're like, you use mm. to cut, your, cut you off from everyone else, to cut you off from the rest of the world. I know Eckhart Tolle uses the ego shell idea quite a lot. And we know I'm, I'm a huge fan of Eckhart Tolle's work and the new earth and everything like that. And that was, I think, one of the most transformative books that I read that really helped me get to grips on understanding ego. Like I always had an interest in, obviously with a lot of the stuff that I would be interested in, in spirituality, science, psychology, and that as well. But when I actually went to counseling myself and delved into it further um, with the lady I was seeing, and like we talked a lot about ego. And when she brought it up to me, I was like, well, would, you know, I would, I would automatically assume the whole, like you like yourself too much. And the stuff I was dealing with was a lot more lower self-esteem, self-doubt, self-criticism, being very dichotomous in my thinking with myself versus how I would think of anybody else, you know, being very hard on myself. And she kind of brought me through that journey of stuff that I knew, but you don't really know yourself until someone's, you know, it's like, oh, I know this, but I don't apply it. And it really brought me on that journey to delve further and further into ego and understanding and understanding that that was my ego that was limiting me, that fear of asking for help, that, you know, fear of being disliked, fear like of never quite being enough for anything or anyone or even myself. You know, that's why I've got the enough tattoo on my arm because of how limiting that is. And that's something that people don't see about ego, that all of that fear, those stories in your head, those thoughts that like you, your thoughts have you when you're caught up in ego, you know, instead of you having thoughts. And that's the layers of it that people don't really understand. And when you start getting to grips and understanding that is when you can start freeing yourself somewhat from the trappings of it. Always going to be there. It's built up over years and years and years. And it's not about getting rid of it, but it's bringing about the awareness of understanding understand what it is and how it doesn't define you that you are not your ego even though the roots of the word are like i or self or identity i think that's the really powerful thing is identity is a really strong word to focus on with with ego and when you're trying to pull it apart yeah 100% to relate that back to to mythology um i find it so funny when you when you think of almost every greek mythology uh, story it involves a god uh being not egotistical, maybe maybe egotistical, uh, but letting their ego get the best of them and punishing people for almost like they're trying to stop anybody from even getting near their level. So as soon as somebody gets close to their level, they'll shut them down. So whether it's Icarus flying too close to the sun or um, is it Arachne who reckons she could um, sow things as good as Athena or whatever it is, yeah. it's, it's like they don't want anybody to be on their level or to even seem as good as them. And I, f- I find it funny that that theme runs through all through Greek mythology. I don't think there's one Greek god who doesn't have those sort of traits. We all have those sort of traits, though, as well yeah. as humans. I think that's a defining thing with like a lot of mythology and stuff. It is to teach us lessons. And we don't even realize until you start delving back into it and you start looking back through like any of the Greek or Roman mythology or even like, like religion. It's, all, it's very similar. It's all very similarly layered and spirituality and all of it. There's lessons there. there. It's all to teach us something about ourselves and about the human psyche and who we who we are, you know? Like you see it from Greek mythology leading on, but even some of the stuff that you get from that and ego moving into the Buddhist realm, 
then moving into like psychology with like Freud and stuff like that, there the layers of what they discuss about ego and becoming free from it, it's all very, very similar and how detrimental having like this static idea of being trapped by that identity, how damaging that is. And that's the common theme when you really, really delve into ego and the idea of it in all of those different areas, be it from mythology, Buddhism, psychology, there is that underlying theme of it being, if you have a very static idea of it and your, your, your identity is very static and you don't have any flow or freedom from it, that's what's really detrimental to you and your your emotional well-being and i think that's something that yeah the lessons are st- in from greek mythology are saying that too it's like having too big of an ego is going to be damaging they're always taken off their perch i think that's what built us to start thinking oh you know you're on your high horse you think you're too good and where everyone focused on that idea of it but not the other layers behind it Mm, that is probably one part where Greek mythology differs to kind of what I would say ego is as related to humans. It's like the ego, you, you rarely see it in, in, in the sense we spoke about, um, about maybe that shell in, in mythology. It's more so that one where you're cocky and you don't want to be seen uh, like you, you feel like you're better than other people. That's the one you see in Greek mythology. And I think um, from most of, the, most of what I've read, it's like, that's where it really differs between like what Freud would say ego is and then like Greek mythology sort of ego. Um, but with the uh, Greek mythology, what, what, what is it about Greek mythology that, that you enjoy or you, you have enjoyed in the past? Cause I know myself, it is the lessons and realizing that some, some stage somewhere in, in the history that people actually believe these things. I think it always fascinates me knowing that like what fucking he just thought that all this stuff is real. <laughs> <laughs> It's the theatrics. I love theatrics. I love how, like, I love these big characters and, like, you know, throughout it. And, like, they're all so definitive. And, yeah, the lessons from it, too. But it's definitely the theatrics of it all. You know, everything was so dramatic and big. And, you know, that I think that's always, I've always been, I always like anything that's a bit showy. And they're very showy and flashy. It's <laughs> like, a little yeah. bit fabulous. And stories. Like, I'm a storyteller. I always have been. I've been writing since I was quite young. And I've always read until I devoured books from a very, very young age. And to me, these were stories, but like you you just got taken on journeys with all of these people and the the characters were so (laughs) well-developed. Like, you know, you know what I mean? They really were. That It it, it was just, they're just incredible stories that just fueled the imagination and had you thinking. Before you even knew you were learning lessons or anything like that, it just fueled imagination. It's like, I loved history in school. History and English were like my favorite when I was quite young, probably because of the same alignment of it all being to me stories. And that's why I think I've, I've loved any of the Greek or Roman mythology is purely just that it's storytelling at its finest. And storytelling has come through the years. Like you want to kind of believe it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, it's very, a lot of stories are quite absurd. And I've started realize that I, I, realizing that I like things that are, are quite strange and out there like, well, how often how often the story like when you hear a story especially like because it was a religion at some stage uh are you going to hear a story where people get turned into half horses or into a medusa or things like that it's just it's quite mad and as you're saying you do kind of want to believe some of it at some stage it's almost yeah. like another thing that you're a fan of which is vampires it's like yes i am <laughs> greek, greek mythology and vampires it's like i just wish at least one of them could be real like you know <laughs> Oh, definitely. Like, I'm not, I like you see my window open as a kid, you know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> come on. 
any, any opportunity at Halloween I have to dress up as a vampire, I do. It's like, that's, yeah, that's a given. I've always loved them. But that's, again, stories. And it is, it's that, like, light and dark. And, you know, all of them have that. They've got these really dark, dark characters and that are scary. Like, you know, watching the movies growing up, even some of the, like, the Kraken and stuff like that. Mm. And, like, there's all these scary, scary stories. But that's so enticing. The scarier, darker elements of life are really are such a draw think about when you're watching netflix how many like serial killer documentaries are there or like murderers or people in prison um like you know and we're all watching it it's like you want to it's like to know the light you kind of need to know the dark and that those those layers are interesting i think and as humans we're we're drawn to it we're drawn to the macabre a little bit we're drawn to the scary you know because it gets those like you know the feeling of like nervousness or excitement or fear it's all layered you know yeah i do think that that's part of this as well with these characters and like in mythology is there's a lot of really dark scary characters and then there's a lot of that there's the heroes and everyone wants a hero as well you know or heroines or these people to aspire to be like they were like it's like being a groupie back in the day they were like <laughs> they were the rock stars like yeah. you know what i mean oh achilles, oh, achilles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I find uh, it's it's funny with the I've been uh, I listened to the, the audiobook of Mythos um, by Stephen Fry and then I got into the to one of Heroes which is more about the, the humans and I find it so funny um, when you listen to particularly Heracles or Hercules as most people mm. would know him is like when you think of heroes you think of people who are like good and a lot of the Greek stories they are quite brutal and you find out that a lot of these heroes have very very nasty sides as well yeah which goes back to that same thing it's like you have the the good and the bad with everything and it's it's i think i think that's a big part of mythology why i like it it's not afraid to shy away from the the good and the bad extremes like it is it's like the very extremes of human nature displayed you know that they said the very very good with the very very dark and it just yeah shows you the night and day of the human character I think a lot of people shy away from the fact that like all of us have that in us, you know, I think the the more I start reading about these, these type of things where you see the good and the bad is that realize that it's not that far away for us to, to do these horrible things or to be this really good person, you know? No, I believe we're on like, a, you know, it's kind of a line that runs through us all and we're, we're at our best. We're this, but you know, we can air down here and we're at our worst and your worst is going to be like, horrific and we all have the capacity for that and it just depends on what happens in the middle here that draws us up and down that like that little line throughout our life of where we go and you know traumas experiences everything all these different things are going to influence where on this you go you know physical and emotional things that might happen to you or it's like are going to impact that and I think that's something I remember a concept that I really liked that I heard was like having a shared humanity with even the worst people in the world that you deem the worst, like the evil, the bad, like we don't want to have a shared humanity with say Hitler, like throw some, think of someone really, really horrific. You don't want to find a shared humanity with them because you just want to see them as evil. Mm. They're just evil. That's all they are. That's all, that's all they have to be because you have to be evil to do that. You could not be, I can't have anything in common with that person. Well, we do like mm-hmm. we all have a shared humanity like i have a shared humanity with jeffrey Dahmer. would i do what he does <laughs> no. you know but there's there's a shared humanity there and we can't be i think afraid i remember i forget who it was i the amazing woman was talking about this i listened to on 
Russell Brand's podcast. And it was the idea of shared humanity of being able to align with these people and find that shared humanity is actually a good thing mm. instead of separating ourselves off and being afraid. Like it's by having that shared humanity, we can comprehend things a lot better and understand ourselves and other people and connect better that it's not to be afraid of that, of going like Hitler had a light side. I'm sure he was a child once and, you know, he had people who loved him and he loved them, you know, that's mm. in everyone. Everyone has that. And we can't be afraid to, explore that and understand it and separate ourselves from it because i think you have a better capacity to be kind to be understanding to have empathy and to grow if you can see that shared humanity with others no matter who they are or what they are and i think if everyone in the world did that a little bit more it would be something that could be helpful in preventing a lot more of the fighting out there if we saw if we connected and saw the shared humanity in each other instead of just the differences and i know i sound like second miss world now which now I think is so much better it's just yeah. it's right ra- like it's just it's radical compassion i think she called it the lady and i was like i freaking love that like you yeah. know it's such a great idea i think that's that, that it's a powerful thing as well and i tried to do it myself a lot is to try and people that let's say in the past that would have uh i i would have hated at some stage to try and get myself into the shoes uh into their shoes and try and understand them and realize that maybe they're not horrible people maybe there was other things going on that caused the way that they um behaved and also to realize that it was not technically well it was me it happened to but maybe it wasn't really me they were just lashing out you know and i think that's that's ego as well that gets uh, gets in in the way that makes you want to categorize those people as evil or the bad people you know you know because then then it makes it a little bit uh it's easy in a sense to push that yeah. push people out to say that they're evil rather than accept that we could possibly do things like that. We like to name things. We like to give things a name, put things in boxes, give things an identity. It's like, we think that it's easier if we have that structure mm-hmm. on things. And like, I think when it comes to like ego, from the moment we're born, that it's, it's developing. Like you start, you start to develop your ego. It's not inherently in us. It's not, it's something we develop. It's a construct. It's a shell. It's something we build based on things that you identify with. Um, like your name, that'll be a part of it. Your culture, like where you're from, your experiences, traumas, all those things build your ego through memories. So like you're building it over time. And then it's the problem is we, we start identifying with all of these things that are not us. They're not actually who we are. But that's what we build our identity and we become like, you think about stuff like a name. You know, everyone really, that's something that's your identity. That's who you are, so to speak. But it's not like I could call you anything. You could call me anything. So it's, it's not us. And then you think of stuff like culture or country. You can change where you live. That's not who you are. It's not your identity. You can live a different lifestyle to everyone else in your country. You can be different. You know, it's not who you are. Mm-hmm. and actions or behaviors again there are things that we would there are things that people identify with you know i do this i am this your actions your behavior but we can learn we can grow we can be educated we can change behaviors can change we know that we make our living helping people change their behaviors and adapt so your behaviors aren't who you are you are not those you are not what you do you are not if you have a disorder and you are not that mm-hmm. and then like that's kind of blurry so against sort of like your body like people identify with their body and again something that we deal with all the time it's like people their weight becomes their identity you know or if somebody does a certain sport or does like you know gets really ripped that becomes their identity they're the ripped person but that's not who you are either like 
Like you could lose an arm and you can use a, lose, lose a leg. You can lose anything. You can gain weight, lose weight. You're still you. And then it gets kind of blurry into like your thoughts, you know, the idea of your thoughts. Like, are you your thoughts? Is that who you are? And when it comes to like your thoughts, they can change as well. You can change your mind. You know, your thoughts can change based your on... Thoughts the change very definitely after a couple of ciders. <laughs> I know, mine definitely <laughs> does. <laughs> I change my mind all the time. It's like, Jesus Christ, like hormones, anything. Like it all influences it. It can change everything. And that's the problem when it comes to our ego. It's built by all of these constructs that, and experiences that we have and we identify with. But that's not us. And by us putting that identity and that static identity around everything, we limit ourselves instead of being like that. The idea in Eckhart Tolle and all again of like, you're the observer of your thoughts. You are not that. Like when you can step back and be a curious observer of all those thoughts in your head and those ideas and those constructs, it's when you start to be happier and feel freer. And it's the same with ego. It's like realizing that it's a construct that you've kind of built, that it's like if you allow your ego to, it's never going to go away, but if you allow it to be a static construct that you have built around you is when it's damaging. But if you see your ego as something that's more flexible, that can move and can change and adapt and that you can work in sync with it, you know, that it's, it's more fluid is when you can be happier and it's easier to manage. And I think that's where the, the multifaceted layers of ego, ego come from and where people need to kind of, that, that would be the area where you would need to work on is trying to be a little bit more fluid. You don't fight your ego. You know, you don't keep fighting it. You don't wake up one morning and go, God, it's miserable out and kind of go, oh, fuck, you know, Jesus, like I'm being really negative again. You reframe it and you retrain it. Like, hey, it's like, yeah, it's a little bit dark, but you know, I can put the heating on or I can do that. It's not like going crazy and trying to be like overly optimistic all the time and like crazy optimism and stuff. It's just about, building it's like practicing gratitude you build on it you build on it you reframe you retrain you rewire your brain and it's the same with the negative impacts of a of ego and the trappings of it is retraining yourself to just when you have those negative thoughts or those stories in your head you know that are limiting you and the limiting beliefs of yourself it's just retraining yourself around it it's like you lose your job you don't go oh my God, I lost my job. It's like, it's terrible. It's the worst thing in the world. It's like, that's one reaction. We also don't go, oh my God, it's great because that's crazy. You're not going to be, that's too optimistic. You go, okay, I've lost my job. I need to go look for another one. It's being more factual in the reframing and just changing your thoughts to start thinking more that way and to start thinking of yourself more positively around it. I think I went off on a tangent there. No, no, tangents are very welcome here. Very welcome. The queen of the tangents. <laughs> like, I'm shocking. <laughs> I um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that I've heard somebody say this before and I didn't come up with it myself. But I heard somebody uh, say that mindfulness is almost like an anti-ego. Like, you know, like you have your tub of anti-freeze. And like mind, mind, mindfulness is kind of like that. And gratitude would be considered the same. I, I like I like that stuck with me for a while. And because I've gotten really big into gratitude and being mindful this year, um, started meditating, other little bits. And like I know yourself that you 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 say yourself that you don't need to actually sit down and meditate, but it's but sometimes it's good to go back to it. And I think for myself, I tried to be mindful and use mindfulness, but I was never able to get into meditation. And now that I've been getting more into meditation, I can see I'm being a bit more mindful about things that I'm doing, whether it's eating. I'm slow. I'm purposely making sure that I slow down and 
maybe just think in my head, what well, I'm grateful to have this meal and these little bits. But I think people are very quick to push push things like meditation away if they don't work first yeah. thing. There's a lot of fear and if people see it all as being really woo or like that you have to be, it's another, it ends up being another tool that people use to beat themselves with, you know? Mm. And that's something I talk about a lot. It's like, I'm shit at this too. And that's what happens with a lot of people when they get into meditations. But I know it, it happened to me. Like I'm, I'm a bit wired and I know that like I've got a, quite a high energy person and stuff and my mind is constantly going. It's like, there's like monkeys with symbols in there half the time, you know, I have to kind of work with so many thoughts going around. And I thought that I would be someone that would find meditation incredibly difficult. And I did. I found it really hard at first and I couldn't settle and sit with it. I couldn't settle with my thoughts. I would just be like, there's just too many thoughts coming into my head and doing, I'm like, I can't do this. I'm just not somebody that can, but I kept at it. I persistent of nothing else. And like, I went, I started more with like introducing gratitude and things like that. And that kind of helped me over the years to start building it. And then I remember listening to a meditation one time and it was like, I can penny dropped for me in understanding how to work with my mind. And when it gets like that, and it was literally, there was a meditation and in the middle of it, the guy was talking and he was talking about your thoughts and all the thoughts flying into your head. And he used the line, just like, just say like, welcome to the party. And I was like, it was the simplest thing. I was just like, a little light went off for me and I was just like, oh my God, that's how I deal with my thoughts when I'm meditating. Instead of, it's that non-judgment. It's having that awareness. And like, I've heard all that and I'd heard all that before this of like non-judgment, curious, you know, the things I would say a lot in post around it. But it was that simple cue, just something clicked with me. And I was just like, yeah, when those thoughts come flying into your head, you know, I said it in a post this week, I was like, just say hi to them. Like, hi. <laughs> it me but, you know and just like welcome to them say welcome to the party and just be more like hey okay why are you here what's the story there well, what, am I, what am i doing that for and just like be kinder and more curious your thoughts aren't going to stop you're not going to suddenly become a zen buddha like you know with a, with a few meditations and you don't need to it is as you just said like perfectly it's just like it just starts bringing about a little bit more presence and awareness in your day to be a little bit more grateful to slow down a little bit in your food and be happy with those small changes. Like that's the problem. It's again, the dichotomous thinking idea and people thinking they have to be all or nothing. It's like going on a diet. If it's like, I can't do everything perfect. I've ruined it, you know, going on or off plan. It's like, no, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not black and white. There's so many layers of gray when it comes to mindful practice, gratitude, meditation, it's your practice, your way for you and your progress is yours. You know, it's like just simply being more aware and trying is huge. And that's what people don't give credit for. It's like having the intent, intent to do it, taking the time to sit down for five minutes and try is already streets ahead from anywhere you were before with it, you know? And that's, it's even the practicing gratitude took me years to get to do it daily took me ages like so long like I had a journal and I'd keep forgetting but that attempt to do it led to then suddenly now I'm on like my fifth or sixth journal that I've done daily you know and it but it took time to like to really nail it down and that's what meditation's like and that's what mindful practice is it's simply being more mindful every day it's like as I, I said I was like one of my posts this week as well I was around it was the idea that 
for me, being out in nature, nature is incredible for my headspace. Incredible. It's you see me. I'm up a mountain every week. Like I'm up somewhere, and that's something that is really helpful for my head. Like I just love being by the sea. I love being around animals. I love being like up mountains and all. And for me, just standing on top of that mountain and just breathing, that's beautiful to me. And that's like that's being present and probably the more most connected I feel. And that's mindful. And I appreciate it. And I'm grateful for it when I get to do it. You know, you can be mindful anytime. Like I was sitting in my friend's house last week with her dog on my lap, like looking at the roaring fire. And she's like, fell asleep. I was so happy. So happy. I've got dogs and the happiest. And like, I just had a moment of complete and utter, like just like gratitude and just that simple, just breathing it all in and appreciating. And that's being mindful. You know, it's just being aware and just having a moment to sit there when, Things just feel good and calm and just acknowledging it and going, this is good. You know, I am happy. I am content. It's and that's, that's practice. And that's where I think people need to realize they can start introducing it very, very simply in their life. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm. And I think the non-judgment is one of the biggest things for, for myself. And I think a lot of people, I, anytime I tried meditation before, it was that talk going through my head, stop thinking, why am I thinking that? You know, and like I would end up thinking more while meditating and I just end up getting pissed off. And then the first few times that I think it was in the CAM app, they mentioned, they're like, you don't need, just acknowledge that you're there. You don't have to tell them to go away or anything like that. And then it kind of, whatever way they said, it clicked. I think that's a powerful thing, having something said you in a, in a way that just clicks. I, and, and the book, Atomic Habits, I don't think there's ever been a book where I found that many like little, like, stories that somebody told me that I could take a lesson away from whatever way James Clear can put a story uh, it, it just I connect to it straight away but uh, I didn't say my Greek mythology I just like the Greek myth of Narcissus is like if I think of um, somebody who doesn't doesn't um, who only loves himself and they don't really care about loving other people that's the the thing that comes to my head is that Greek uh, that story of uh, Narcissus um, but when it comes to gratitude, you said that it took ages to get get into it. What were was it just that you'd forget or I for just completely forget. I wouldn't. I didn't make. I think I actually think that there's like there can be a block sometimes when it comes to anything like that or engaging a practice. And you don't even know why, you know. But the thoughts of I think now that I I try and introduce it for other people, I see the block happening. How difficult some people find it to settle into it. I had to set myself up and really have intent to do it. Like, so I left it, like it took me to leaving it in a place I knew I'd be every morning and every evening and taking it with me to places and doing stuff like that. When initially I just didn't have that intent. It was just like, oh yeah, this is a nice thing. I don't think I bought into it. I think as much as I thought I did and as much back in the, this is like, I'm looking at, God, six years ago, maybe more maybe when I just would have first moved back to Dublin six, seven years ago, seven, yeah, I've been back seven years, um, would have been in around then when I started it. And yeah, I don't, I think, although I was doing the reading on it and I kind of understood the idea of it, I don't think I completely fully bought into it all. And I think that's a big part of it. You have to believe that what you're doing is actually going to help you. So you have to believe like whoever advises you to do it. Like as a coach, we know that it's like people have to trust you and believe in what you're telling them. They have to have to bring about some more autonomy about it. I think when it came to gratitude, I thought it was a really nice idea and a nice notion, but I think deep down, I didn't really completely buy into it. 
and then the more and more I learned about mindful practice and things like that and I, I changed and grew and went through my own stuff I think I just started believing in it a little bit more and believing that it was worth the effort to try that I had nothing to lose to making a really conscious effort to make it happen I think I had something similar and that's the reason why I wanted to ask you that because I did it I I think I've gone through two journals um and the first one I kind of went through there was weeks where I'd miss it there was a lot of evenings that didn't get filled out I was quite good with the mornings I wouldn't take it if I went somewhere else and I kind of found out there uh, that until I started realizing like how um like and seeing how see how gratitude can help then I started like warming up to it a little bit more and then I made sure that I had it out in the kitchen table for the morning I made sure I took it with me everywhere I went but it is it's that buy-in like and we talk about it a lot as like as coaches like you need to you need to be bought into it in order for it to help you if you're only doing it to take a box it's not really going to benefit you no there has to be there has to be a belief and a buy-in for it for it to really work to make anything any change stick you have to believe in what you're doing and the reasons behind it you know like why we can educating people on all of these things is really important the why is behind anything you're doing if you don't understand it it doesn't stick you know 100 percent. and with with the whole mindfulness thing, I have a quote here, and I, I, I really like the, the quote. Was that mindfulness is kind of, is when real reality takes precedent precedence over ego, and I, I, I would take that further. I would say oh, kindness and compassion should also, like for yourself, should all, also take precedence, um, not just reality. Would you say that would, would would be true with yourself when you think of mindfulness? I do. I think self-compassion is a, like, an understanding is a huge, huge part of it has been for me and for my interest in it and like benefits from it is definitely around self-care and self-compassion and breaking my tendency to be quite dichotomous in my thinking of myself, I think is what, what mindfulness has helped bring me just to be, it's taken away the fear, I suppose, a lot of the fear, which is behind all of that stuff it's always fear it's a fear of not being enough is the simplest part of it and mindfulness kind of forced me to get uncomfortable you know and not be afraid of being uncomfortable not being afraid of being in my own company you know being in the company of my thoughts and having value for it and uh, which helped increase my value of myself and appreciation and I do believe that like facing up to doing it and that's the thing that stops people a lot of the time is people don't want, really want to get into their thoughts like you know it's why people have so many vices and habits and why I use a lot of there's a lot of mindful tools used in addiction management and stuff which I posted on some of them today they're all stem from like addiction rehab and stuff like that that they're used because it is something that makes you face up to your emotions your thoughts your feelings have awareness about it and to alleviate the fear instead of distracting yourself from your feelings your thoughts and your emotions negatively and just fueling your ego more and fueling that damage and negative shell more but yeah mindfulness definitely has made me be more willing to be in my own company and appreciate it and value it you know be a lot kinder to myself and with that in that particular case with yourself uh, like how has that journey with your own ego been you've sp- spoken a little bit about it before but i know myself training and training particularly has been like a double-edged sword when it comes to ego because at stages i trained to almost build up my ego to to be bigger and to be leaner so that i would i don't know i for less of a better word to be cooler uh to obviously seem more attractive to the the opposite sex but 
what I found was whenever I got that stage, I was like, well, none of these things actually come true. You know, what, like how I look or what lifts I'm weight, I'm lifting has no re- reflection on any of those things. You know, apart from what one out of 10 person, 10 people might like, like me better because of how I look, but that's not really something that you should be striving to, striving to do. Now, when I look at training and, and regard ego, I'd almost use it as an ego check. I'd purposely do things that are quite challenging to humble myself a little bit. Like um, doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu has been one of the most humbling experiences. Getting, making, getting made tap out every 10 seconds. <laughs> somebody trying to break your arm or choke you out. You know, you have to get your, leave your ego at the door in situations like that. I feel like it could be similar. Like for me, it's again, I think the real thing, it brings it back with ego to being things we identify with and how we become our identity, like training. Like I do CrossFit, we all know like, it gets very like your identity gets rooted in being part of that community and you identify as a CrossFitter and all like that. You know, that's it's what happens. Um, and you do get, that's, that's the problem with ego. It identifies with things and with body types as well. And for me, I have had a lot of issues with, my self-worth my body image I've had issues with disordered eating and stuff when I was when I was younger through my life and it's something I would be very conscious of and aware of to look out for in my life and how I am and that led to I think getting into health and fitness was very transformative for me when I found weightlifting and things like that because I started to appreciate my body more for what it could do and I'd already gone my weight had been up and down dramatically through the years of my life I've been big like really small and I've been quite heavy um, but lifting and getting into weights and stuff was very transformative for me and appreciate my body in a different way and getting like fit and healthy and stuff. But it's still, you get attached to certain things. And I would notice that like, yeah, I started identifying more with that. And even I've gotten very ripped before too. And like, you do start to get very attached to that. And like, I've noticed within myself that like, because of that all or nothing kind of mentality that I have to watch that I can be inclined to move from one thing to another to kind of push myself in like I would be inclined to yeah just to to push myself to burn out if I'm not conscious as a distraction but it could be stuff that you can deem quite healthy like training or eating healthy all those different things working hard you know working on my business and stuff like that or balancing jobs studying and you don't realize what you're doing to yourself but like you're you'd start to identify with being that you know, it's like, but I'm always busy. That's who I am. That's part of who I am. I can do this. I like to multitask. And then it gets to a point where you're just, you're, you might be doing positive things and achieving positive things, but you're burning yourself the fuck out. And, you know, because you've just started to identify with all of these things as you are, but they're more constructs and it's distraction. And that's how I think I would have noticed it in the last few years, even coming back again. And like being around would have been like, when I really, really, delved into kind of working on my ego and like any remnants of it about like two two years ago I think I really went back in I went to counseling and stuff like that because I saw myself burning the hell out and like getting myself caught up in having like I was studying at the time finishing up college I was working almost full-time in a marketing job building my own business like my my own online my coaching business as well and I had like a bunch of time like that was nearly a full-time job I had a full-time job I was studying (laughs) and traveling for conferences and courses and I was doing it all then I was also training broke my leg ended up moving more into bodybuilding stuff for a while very like jacked and ripped and it was just I was constant was go 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 and that's 
ego. You know, that's like wanting to be driven and not wanting to let go. And I realized that that's that fear again, the fear if I didn't keep pushing as hard as I could in college, as hard as I could and worked, couldn't let anyone down, couldn't give up my other job, you know, oh, I broke my foot and I can't do CrossFit. Well, I have to keep training hard. You know, I can't lose that. And I realized that although none of those things in an individual sound that bad, when you're pushing all this together and then you've got like, I had stuff going on in my personal life that was quite difficult. And I, I could put myself into another situ situation in my life that wasn't very good for me either. And I thought it was like, I was, I was ready. To, I just was ready to go. I was ready to burn out. And I did like, family and friends were getting worried about me they saw me burning out and and I've written about it a little bit like I've been quite open that I like did burn out quite a lot and thankfully I had the sense to go and go to a counselor and kind of go I, I know what I'm doing and I don't know how I don't know how to stop like pushing I don't know how to stop <laughs> what do I do and that was literally with her help I got back into just really focusing more on my mindful practice and taking care of myself and bringing self-care more in and learning how to say no and set up boundaries yeah. and realize that that fear was still there and that was ego, you know, and it was the fear of not being enough and that was what was still nipping at my heels and that there was a lot of stuff that I had, like, put my finger in the dam on, but I never, you know, little Dutch boy, but I'd never <laughs> really, really fully dealt with or, like, worked on or had the like I had the intent to continue that work on myself that I thought I dealt with it and it was done and because I wasn't you know eating the way I used to because you know I didn't do the harmful things to myself that I used to do or distract in like the same negative ways I would have when I had more issues when I was younger I thought I was fine but then I didn't realize how that those same kind of little traits were like raising their head in other parameters of my life and that's I said that that fear that like of not being liked, of not being enough, of not doing enough, the imposter syndrome starts kicking in, the self-doubt, you know, as you said, the not wanting to ask for help. I'm a shocker for that, like shocker. I read actually an incredible book you should read by Amanda Palmer called The Art of Asking. Really, really good. And written down? The Art of Asking, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book. It was actually, um, Danny Lennon recommended that one to me, that I would like it and I was so grateful after reading it. It's brilliant. She's like a music artist and stuff like that. And she's like completely crowdfunded. She's in a band called the Dresden Dolls, but she's done now a TED talk around this. And it is about like how she's somebody that in her whole life, she would have like busked and done things like that. Constantly asking people, but it was a stuff like a service and transaction, but she was incapable of asking the people she loved the most and closest to for help no matter what was happening and it delves really into that it's just like why and it's it's all around ego as well the yeah. same kind of idea but it's a, it's a brilliant book i'll definitely have to give that a read i find that's so common um when i moved over to london i seen there was a quite a big shift i'm from dundalk small town and i moved to london and london's very busy busy every a lot most people that i was around were very career oriented everybody was busy 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 and it was almost seen as as a like you're strange if you weren't always doing something or if you're not working 50 hours a week or and having something else on the side and I kind of found myself getting into that to a degree where I was working 40 hours in person I was doing online coaching on top I was studying on top and I, I know so many people who get like that where it's like they just feel like they need to, they need to always be doing something else you know with any little bit of free time they need to fill it with something else yep. and and it's 
yeah, I, I can see you nodding. Yep, that, that's like, me. Yep. <laughs> it, it becomes addictive. It's like um, being needed or wanted. People who you will complain about, like, God, everybody's always asking me for help or like, you know, God, they just need something all the time and da, da, da. Like you, you hear people say things like that. But a lot of the time you're doing that yourself. Like you'll like, you're not setting boundaries with people. You're, you don't say no. Like you say yes to everything you like someone messages and you message immediately. Like I've been that person. You'll always just message back immediately. Don't let people down. Like if someone emails me like a client or anything like that, it took me so long to be able to like not get right back immediately on every single thing. And that is, it's all rooted in fear and ego. Like 100%. so much of it is like, like you, you just need to keep going. It's distraction and it's ego. It's those two things. It's like keeping like a busy feel. It's like constantly busy all the time, filling every gap. It's distraction, yeah. but you, it's justifiable distraction because if you're achieving something, it's like, oh, it's work. So that's justifiable. It's like, you know, or it's helping people out. That's justifiable. Like we can justify that's the one. our distraction. That's the one I find like people like myself and yourself would definitely get caught into. It's whenever uh, there's a promise of helping somebody else, we can like throw our, everything about ourselves kind of into one corner. <laughs> yes. It's easier to take care of someone else than it is yourself. You know, 100%. it's like we can all, why coaches need coaches. It's like why we all have them. You know, it's why I'm really into psychology and like all of that stuff and I read a lot of it and would have awareness the amount of times I sat with my counselor and she was and I was like yeah yeah and I was chatting away to her about things and she'd be like oh so you like you know all this stuff like but joke and jokingly with me and I'm like yes I do I know all this stuff and that's the the tool you use to beat yourself with it's like I know this why can't I apply it it's like many people have you like worked with and like they will have a decent knowledge of their fitness and nutrition and it's like we well, can't apply it to yourself yeah, we all do it, you know. It's like me. That, that's why I got you to coach me earlier this year. <laughs> it's, it's the same. It's like if I went to the gym, like I'd have a decent understanding of how to train. If I went to the gym and just like program for myself, I would just squat all the time or like do pull-ups. Like that would be it. Just, like you do what you prefer. You do what you enjoy. You won't challenge yourself in the ways that you you know might be what's best for you. But someone else giving you that structure of programming and accountability like, you know, makes such a difference. Like the counselor literally sitting there with me with my phone, making me schedule self-care. Like the simplest <laughs> of things. I had to be spoon fed, putting stuff in, like reading my book for this time, having a bath this day. It was, it got to those base levels of my inability to give myself time to do stuff like that. And it sounds hilarious now, but that was the stuff that made a huge difference for me. It's like mindful practice, obviously meditation and stuff as well, and yoga, bringing yoga back. And like taking a lot of pressure off with training, still training a lot, but not, not having the same kind of goals, like, you know, just kind of training for the love of it and to be fit and strong. And I started like doing other stuff, but putting that work in then as like this year, it's really like, it's really paid off. Like mm. the difference in handling this year and all that that's come about and all that's happened. I'm so glad that I did the self work and continue to do it and realize it's something I have to continue to do this year because I think it's what's helped get me through this like mm. I think that's I'm hoping a lot of people are taking it that way uh, that they've decided to put more put more work into themselves in that sense rather than uh, maybe taking as you know like we'll take this as an oh fear you know I find that uh, there's a lot of people in that camp is like right we're just gonna strike this year off when you can 
uh, unfortunately that's not going to be the case we don't know what's going to happen next year next year it could be another another zeitgeist that we uh, have to deal with you know you never know um, but with something you mentioned there with the boundaries I find boundaries are so important but we we always have this fear that if 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 we say no to something that it's going to cost us in the long term when you know life's long we get lots of opportunities you know and the chances are that an opportunity you turn down now you could get offered something better uh, people always go to think that it's going to be a bad thing that comes out of saying no it's a lot of fear around saying no it's like letting people down not being liked you know somebody saying no and like somebody deciding to like leave you or like a friend is going to be mad at you and also it's all root it's all rooted in how you feel you know but sometimes you have to setting those boundaries is everything clear boundaries of people like right please don't know if this best example like when you're training a puppy back to dogs of course (laughs) they really like boundaries they really like knowing where they stand and you set those boundaries that training in place like and let them know what's going on and give them that training they're they're actually ultimately happier because they know what's going on they know where they stand there's no uncertainty and it's the same with us as humans with each other if we set boundaries we feel happier because we're taking care of ourselves we're putting ourselves on our needs and like you know the things that like impact us as a priority which is very important and then we're letting other people know who we are what our boundaries are how to interact with us and in doing so you can connect better with people because you understand each other better and that's the problem it's like there's this fear of saying no but you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing another person a disservice if you're not yourself with them if you don't set boundaries if you don't let them know what things impact you negatively positively things like that if you really want to connect with someone you have to have boundaries and there's like you know the whole because like obviously like boundaries vulnerability compassion all that's really big at the moment like people talk about it a lot i always see from like the likes of Brene brown i love but even like simon sinek and the more kind of you know, corporate realm and stuff talks a lot about it. And like that fear of like being vulnerable, but knowing the boundaries of vulnerability. And like, I love when Brene Brown gets into that is like understanding that to be vulnerable isn't oversharing. It's not telling everyone everything. It's not like being willing to do everything for everyone. Being vulnerable is sharing with the right people, the right amount, you know, it's like being conscious of who you are vulnerable with and how you are vulnerable. It's not oversharing all the time. And boundaries are the same thing. It's like, you have to set them to protect yourself and to help other people understand where they stand with you. You know, it's like giving people too much all the time. You've got nothing left. And it isn't, you end up like losing some of your kind of, I suppose, and even in like in integrity or authenticity when you're not being true to yourself. But it's like, I've justified, I know in my life doing too much for people, compromising myself, saying yes when I wanted to say no. Um, being in situations that I didn't want to be in because of fear and just being afraid or, you know, worrying what that person would think or what they could do. And like, you're just, you're just really agreeable on it. And that's doing yourself a disservice, a massive disservice, you know, and you do, you, you feel, you don't feel authentic and true to yourself and those feelings stick with you, you know, and that like, if you feel like you've compromised yourself and who you are, it just adds to those feelings of low self-worth and self-doubt and it's adding fuel to the ego fire, to that static-like construct. So I think that's where boundaries are incredibly important and worth working on. I still work on them. Like I have friends and stuff who will remind me, like to literally like get away from your phone, don't answer that right away, don't do this. You're checking your emails, they're like, no, I didn't check it. <laughs> you know, 
it is. It's it's something that it's not it's not natural for me to set up, so I have to work on it. I find that especially with an online business because the boundaries and the rules for it are not as like set in stone as with most other uh, businesses, let's say. So like who's to say that you shouldn't answer emails at a certain time? You know, that's why you have to literally set your own boundaries with what way you work and what, when you communicate with clients, when you get back to them. I found that very hard early on, whereas I used to want to like 24 hours a day. I'm always there. I'll respond as soon as, as soon as you need something. <laughs> and that's the thing, like you can't manage people's expectations. Then. And the problem is when you then don't get back to people because you're human and you might have other things to do and you're busy and you still get back in a reasonable time. But if you've been getting back in like 15, 20 minutes all throughout the time with that, with that client or that person, they're going to expect that. So then when you don't do it, they're going to react accordingly to, to the, to what you've said, to the, like what, what, what you've given them the idea of like how you work and who you are and what to expect from you. So then you end up compromising yourself. So it's kind of like promise, promise little and deliver extra is probably <laughs> a lot better approach, you know, to yeah. manage expectations. Like I've seen friends of mine do it with work. You wouldn't work in like this field, but have something finished and be like, well, it's not actually the deadlines, not till tomorrow. I don't want them to realize that I can actually do this this quickly because they'll expect me to do it that quickly again. And that may not happen. And then wait until the next day, submit it. But I know that I will be that person who would have pressed send with like exclamation marks excited that I got to finish so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I, I still need to work on this. <laughs> hey, we all have things to work on. We all have. Um, when it comes to coaching people with nutrition, where where, where can ego kind of come into play with nutrition when, you, when you're trying to help, pe- make, help people make changes? Where, where do you see that rise up more often? I think there's like, it would definitely be from, as a coach, it's kind of, it's a fear of not being, it would be the fear of not being able to help people. Of if people aren't following guidelines you're given and, you know, if they're not getting the results that they want, but they're putting the blame on you kind of thing, I think your ego can come into play. That realization of like an acceptance that you can't help everyone. I think that's something that people find really, really difficult, especially when you're starting out. Um, it's that fear of failure. If someone doesn't get the results they want or you don't align, you take that very personally. Like it's you, it's personal. They don't like you. You're not good at your job. You know, that type of thing. You'll beat yourself up about it. I do think that's something that happens a lot when you're, when you're starting out. But then you start to realize that no matter how good a coach you are, no matter like how awesome another human is, you don't align with everyone. You don't mesh with them. You won't get buy-in. There's different coaching styles. Like someone would could love me as a coach and not work well with you. Someone could think you're amazing and work brilliantly with you, but just not just not connect with me and my style. And that's that's normal. That's the way it works. You know, it's why we should have a good bunch of referrals around us if we if we see if we have clients we think will work better with somebody else. You know. And I think that's, that's a lot of ego. But when you can get past that and realize that you can't help everyone, you're not going to align with everyone. I think that's a huge, a huge stepping stone as a coach. I think you can progress a lot further and you can give a lot more to the people you can help um, and do a lot more for them when you accept that you won't be able to help everybody. Mm-hmm. And not everybody's going to stay with you for a specific period of time as well. 
I think that's one that I've probably gotten a lot better with is realizing, look, some people just, it's not going to be the right time for them to continue with coaching right now, or they might need to get somebody else to get better help. And I always look at it. If somebody's been with me for a while and they feel confident enough to go off on their own right off into the sunset, uh, I'm delighted. I'm like, I'm glad you've got that much out of it. And I know you're the same because I've seen you do a few posts about it as well. It's a great moment for me now. And I've kind of switched that focus to it. Yeah, you can't be afraid. It's like taking it personally if somebody wants to leave, you know, mm. because there's just too many reasons why it could happen, you know, for that person's personal life or for the fact that you said that they financially or like for the fact that they are just in a great place where mm. it's like you've done your work you've coached them to live like you know they can go off I said it's a sunset and like be able to live a happy life and maintain like my goal is always to leave people in a better place and to hopefully have them in a position where they can sustain the results that I I have um, helped them achieve and the layers behind that it's like I I've always said like I there's a lot of before and after well I give, I give a damn about the after after and that's my goal it's like not just the before and after it's like the after after and what's happening then and how they're sustaining it and that they're mentally and physically feeling good and they they have a better understanding of themselves and their body it's like why I try to work with people for a minimum period of time for the most part for about three months to try and really get that change initiated for people because I think that's really important and a lot of people can come to you as a coach with one goal, with what they think is their goal. And I find with a lot of the clients that I have, and it's probably because the people who are drawn to me know the type of coach I am and that's where they approach me, but that what they think they're coming for is not what they end up with. And it ends up like being something that's much more of a journey and because much more of like an emotional journey, even in like understanding themselves, realigning their goals, like reprioritizing kind of their, the importance of certain things they're looking for, like certain aesthetics they may have wanted and things like that. Like obviously you've worked with certain clients and it is a very specific aesthetic you want or performance-based if they're athletes and that's kind of different kind of goals. But for the general people who are coming just for like fat loss, health, basic like training, you know, usually most clients it's, it's around fat loss and weight loss. It's like kind of helping them realign what their, their ideas are of what they need to do and refocusing on what's healthy and understanding what's healthy for them and what's manageable for them and the ideas of what they think they want coming into it like why is it that specific weight they might want to be or that specific look and seeing picking that apart a little bit to, to help them find what what really is the healthiest place for them to be mm. where do you think ego comes into play most with, with general general population uh, around their eating habits what, how do you think that impacts people get like people can get very personal like it's it get it's you're eating is it's so personal mm. and if people are ego would come into people judging you know so if people are already quite feeling quite sensitive or like insecure and self-conscious about themselves and about their body and things like that and like they are coming it's, it's just, you're very vulnerable when you're going to a coach like you know a lot of the time when people are coming to reach out to help them with their goals um, people will will lie without even realizing it about the food that they're eating, what they're eating. They're lying to themselves. They're not aware. And that's a lot of ego. It's like not really wanting to admit because deep down you kind of, you know, you're in, in theory, like, you know, you're kind of doing it to yourself. And that's what people will think. They're like, why can't I stop eating all this stuff, like snacking on things? And there's like an embarrassment and shame and shame is a horrible emotion. And like, it just like really gets and eats away at people. And that I think is a, is a big part of it is people 
won't want to kind of admit to themselves and admit to you what they are actually eating and doing. And when they can do that, you can, when they can admit to it and that there is that awareness about it all is when you can help, you can better help people. And I think when people finally realize that they're not alone in doing these things that, you know, everybody lies, everybody can distract themselves. Sometimes we can all be mindless so often in our life. And so we've all got the spoon out and started eating that Nutella tub at one stage. Oh yes. <laughs> And it's, you know, and that's the, when people start to understand that, like it alleviates a little bit of the shame, you know, step by step. But I think it's like, that's a lot, that's a lot of ego and it's a lot of fear. It's a fear of change as well, a massive fear of change. People are terrified of change and all parameters of health. And when they're coming to you, there's, there's a fear of what are they going to do to me? What are they going to do to my diet? What are they going to tell me I can't have anymore? What's going to be taken away from me? And the food has been a kind of a crutch and a comfort. There's a, or a alcohol or anything it's like this person's going to take this thing away from me so i want the results but i don't want to do this mm. so like cognitive dissonance it's like i want that but i don't want to give that up and that's like really scary for people as well to make those change and commit to them this time of year is always a particularly strange one for i find it more so with, with people from ireland because we have a real culture around christmas time it's very social there's a lot of alcohol involved a lot of food um and where, how, how do you think ego comes into play around this time of year when it comes to food and drink and our festi- festivity, festivities? It would definitely be, I think, around saying no to people. Um, not want to not want to be disliked, not want to be left out. The fear of missing out, absolute FOMO all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's definitely ego around that. Or like people out drinking, not like not what like not saying no to shots and all that type of stuff because they don't want to be the person everyone's like, oh, party pooper, you know, like spoil sport and all like that. So that's so much ego involved in that. Yeah, that that would definitely be the big one, I think, around Christmas is, yeah, like not wanting to be left out, fear of missing out if you don't like throw yourself into the festive season. 100%. I find... I find sometimes as well when it comes to like, you know, there's a lot of selection boxes around. There's a lot of things like that where people are like, I've been good all year, uh, regardless of whether the, uh, good or bad is not really a, a, a thing. But like they would say, I deserve these selection boxes. I deserve to like pig out this time of year. Justifying it, like using Christmas as an excuse to do it. Like it's good, finding finding a reason for it to justify your behavior we all like to do that we like to justify our bad decisions to make them okay and then the problem is people get into the whole i've i fucked it now mentality which is the like which is the issue and that's the one thing i was trying to say to people it's like you never have you're so much more than one day one meal one decision one selection box you know what i mean no matter what you eat like you you haven't you haven't fucked anything you know yeah. you're you're grand <laughs> you'll be okay move on to the next day like i think that's mindfulness is very very useful around the christmas period i think if you're ever going to try and bring in a little bit more mindfulness and and a lot of like self like like empathy with yourself it's around the festive season and mindfulness around drinking and food if you can be quite mindful most of the time savor it enjoy it take your time with it accept that you can have anything you want just probably don't have it all at once you know try and choose your moments like make sure that you get to have everything. Don't restrict yourself from any of your favorite foods that you would want over Christmas, except that it's okay to overeat. Sometimes we all do it. It's 
absolutely fine. Food can be like food can be a comfort. It's okay to have comfort food once it's not your only comfort and your sole source of comfort. I like to accept that. You know, you might gain a bit of water weight. It's going to be very difficult. It'll take a hell of a lot of overeating to gain a lot of body fat. So relax about it. It's like it's not things don't have to be game changing for your life. You know, it's I really like urge people to kind of go the more mindful route with drinking and eating and allowing themselves, giving themselves permission to have whatever they want over Christmas, but just eating with awareness and actually enjoying it and actually enjoying the time with people and really focusing on that, on savoring the memory, savoring the food, savoring everything you're doing. And if you give yourself that time to really appreciate, you're going to be less inclined to get really mindless about everything. And if you do have a day of overeating or over drinking, you know, the next day, just remind yourself it's done, move on, move forward positively you're not going to fix anything because there's nothing broken. You know, it's like mm-hmm. just to be aware. Would you like to see the eradication of 12 pubs of Christmas or what, what are your thoughts on that? I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> I am not a big fan of the 12 pubs of Christmas, to be honest. And like, this is someone who I've, I'm with service industry, a good chunk of my life working in bars and restaurants. And so from, a work point of view, <laughs> it was always so messy and such a shambles, like every year people coming in. And I think it, I think it's a, it, like the most extreme excessive drinking, like a binge drinking, you know, like it's never good for anyone to drink 12 alcoholic drinks in a row, you know, and it, it, it just isn't like there's, there's no getting around it. I'm not saying I haven't probably done close to that in my life at some point, but it's, I think, yeah, I would, I would like to see that gone. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a positive, beneficial enough tradition to to sustain or to to keep. I personally would def would get rid of it. I don't I've think started, it's, don't think it's good. to get similar sort of thoughts on it from. I I I didn't realize that it literally it only popped up, probably not even ten fifteen years ago. It's like a relatively new thing, but it's kind of like a really done thing now with the especially with like younger generation every every single year they're always doing it i i've worked in bars well i don't anymore but i used to work in bars for seven eight years so i've seen the worst of it as well um didn't stop me being on the other side of it occasionally as well but yeah i would like to see it change for something a little bit more sensible you don't need to drink that much in that short period of time in order to have good crack no uh, wear your Christmas jumpers, go out with your friends, you know, have some food, have some drinks or whatever, but there's, there's no need to set yourself up for ego again. And like, I have to drink 12 drinks and keep up with my friends and end up damaging yourself. It's just, it's even people like, when you see the aftermath on the streets when 12 pubs is going on, or even the aftermath in the pubs, people are messed up. They're like in, in the bathrooms, out on the streets. It's not safe. You know, it's not healthy. And like, I think, but just, yeah, from a safety point of view, it's scary when you see, especially like young men and women, like falling around on the streets and they're so young. Like, and I know I sound like an L one now, but like, <laughs> I am darn, kids. darn kids, you should see what they're wearing. She, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, pull those trousers up, you catch a cold in your kidney. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. I'm that person now. But yeah, no, I've actually never done 12 pubs. Yeah, never. Yeah. I was around 21 when the first time I ever remember coming around. So I was at that age where they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to do it. 
um, and I did it for about three years in a row. I stopped whenever I moved over to London, and I think that's been a beneficial thing where I didn't actually have to say no to anybody for going it, so I missed out on that ego side of it where I didn't have to uh, say no and have the fear of missing out because I was over here and they don't do it. Um, and yeah, that's great. And I'm glad, well, I'm, I'm moving back to Ireland in February, but I'm going to have the missing out on four years of it to probably make it easier for me to not to ever do it again. Yeah, you've broken the habit. <laughs> exactly. All right, we're going to branch off into the, my help. the COVID. Exactly. Final few questions now. I, but every podcast, I always ask people a few, uh, few little bits uh, around, you know, film, music, books. Um, so if you're not a big on any of these things here, it's okay. You can pass. There's a few other uh, questions you can answer. So what would be your favorite film? Or if you were to give a film around Greek mythology, that would give you extra brownie points. Oh, if you can think of Greek mythology, it's okay. Any other film will do. My favorite film. That's so hard for me. Like I love movies. I love movies, theater, musicals, all this stuff. Like I very, very, what would be my favorite movie? There's so many movies from so many different areas. Right, like. I'll, I'll make it easy for you. Give me a musical and and a film there because I'll give a little branch out so you don't have to okay. mix music and... So, musical Le Miserable is my favourite musical of all musicals. I've seen it on stage like three or four times. So that's definitely without doubt my favourite one. Um, movie. Mm. I, uh, I like the, I like the, like I like all the like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and stuff like that. I'm a bit of a nerd in that way. Love but that. I also... Wait, what, what movie did I watch recently that I used to love? Slumdog Millionaire. I think it's an incredible mm. movie as well. Very good. Such a good movie that I really, really liked. Yeah, so I'm going to go with that because I actually re-watched it and was going to actually re-watch it again last night, but I couldn't get the DVD to play. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah, I just love that movie. I love, a, I love a good story. And there's so many, like, honestly, like, there's so many movies. I could go down a rabbit hole of it mm. um, for so many different reasons and different movies that just mean so much to me for different parts of my life. But, yeah, Miz, and we'll go to Miz and Slumdog Millionaire for today. Unreal. I actually started the Fellowship of the Rings last night, extended edition, all three and a half hours got it done this time of year it has to be done if you like lord of the rings and you don't watch lord of the rings this time of year i'm like what is wrong with you <laughs> it's christmas it's i did last week we watched the the three oldest star wars me and my, my boyfriend um he's never seen them so what? we watched the three of them in a row like the oldest ones like do you have to but are they not like actually the later ones I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't matter it does not matter you must watch these first yes these have to be watched first yeah, got to watch all them again, which is incredible. Love that, love that. Right, what would be your favorite album? If you're not big into albums with music, and give me your favorite artist. Okay, so it's another tough one, but you can hum, you can sing. If you can't think of the tunes, <laughs> we're just like I have to say of all like all time. I'm a big Queen fan, like. I know, just and like I'm someone who's been into like I like music in general. Like I was big into house music for a period, been into rock music, pop, like all different varieties like of music I'm interested in. And I grow, grew up with a lot of like Zeppelin, um, Beatles, Queen stuff like that. So I got really into that when I was quite a bit younger, into all that kind of music for my family, being the youngest and very musical family as well. So I actually think because my favorite icon of all icons is Freddie Mercury. Like I think he's incredible and his voice and stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to that. I'm gonna say Queen. 
Class, love that. Uh, favorite book, if you can't think of one particular one, best book that you've read recently? Right, so I love reading as well. Mm. And aside from like all the like Eckhart Tolle one and stuff like that, there's a book that stands to me that like, okay, so like my first ever book read, to read was The Hobbit, like proper big book. No way. Like, my dad gave it to me when I was like eight. Unreal. Like, proper big, not like a kid's book, but my a proper book was that. And I Am David and To Kill a Mockingbird, I would have read around the same time. Uh, yeah, I was read a lot as a child. <laughs> and then, but in my whole life, there's a book that I've gone back to time and time and time again. And it's called Shantaram. It's by a guy called Gregory David Roberts. And it is incredible. And it's about a journey. And it's like partially autobiographical, autobiographical and partially not. And it is just one of the most unreal stories I've ever read. Um, just about adventure there's so many aspects to it about love about like pain suffering struggle adventures travel like it's just everything and it's so beautifully written with some of the most amazing quotes and sayings I've ever ever heard in my life it's huge it's quite a big book but I have it and I have it over 20 years and I've probably read it eight or nine times and usually I go back to it when I've gone through something or like I've had a really transformative part of my life or something has really happened that's been a big change I just get drawn back to reading this book. I read again, the characters in it are just unreal. I highly recommend it. It's, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Lovely, lovely. You're giving me loads of gems, loads <laughs> of gems. Uh, last one, I do this intermittently because I find people aren't necessarily great at remembering quotes, but I know you are a big fan of quotes and I don't think I've seen anybody post as, ma as many quotes on Instagram. Every time there's a caption, there's always, not always, but there's a lot of great, great quotes put in there. So around the topic of ego, if you can remember what your favorite quote is. Oh, 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 oh. it would be definitely the Eckhart Tolle one that I've posted about. Um, I think I actually have it, like, I might have it written there. I know it's terrible. But I remember like the start was like, every ego is a master of selective perception and distorted interpretation. Mm. I really like that, that it's very selective and how you interpret things. I remember I posted that, I posted that quote. There's a whole passage that comes along with it. But yeah, that would definitely be, be the, the one I like, I'm most drawn to on ego. Love that. Right. Thank you very much for your time. That was a brilliant podcast. Um, Thank you. Ego is, is a really interesting topic, and I think we did did a little bit of justice. Um, any of the people that um, either of us have mentioned, you should definitely read into more. Eckhart Tolle is definitely somebody most of us should uh, delve into at some stage. But do you want to tell everybody what's happening with Jane in the next little while? So, coming up for me, um, so it's like fully online coaching these days, one-to-one. Mm. -one. I um, have... I'm part of my own podcast now called mm -hmm. Ask the Girls, which I were recording the second episode of that this Thursday. And that's through um, Lean Life Radio with Iron Paradise Fitness. And then two of the girls, Sophie and Stephanie, we are the girls that you get to ask all your questions of. Um, and then early next year, there is a plan to bring back around my group program that I was going to do pre-COVID. So I'm going to do some more announcements around that. Um, and it will be a fully online Facebook um, based group program for people about an eight-week program and I will be doing some announcements around that and I'll be hoping to kick that off next year late January early February outside of that everything is guest speaking um one-to-one -one coaching or consultations that's what I'm up to a couple more podcasts coming up this year and that's that's about it <laughs>
What a great episode, if I do say so myself. Jane was a great guest to have on and she's a very knowledgeable person outside of her nutrition expertise and she's definitely worth adding to your Instagram following list. If you enjoyed or want to know more about any of the topics we spoke about, make sure to get in touch with Jane over on Instagram. I'll leave all her social media handles in the description to this podcast. And if you want to get in touch with her directly, make sure to drop her a little email and she will definitely get back to you. Now, as she mentioned just there at the end, make sure to stay tuned for her group nutrition program, Empower Your Nutrition. For further learning on the area, make sure to look up Eckhart Tolle, which Jane mentioned in the podcast a few times. Also, maybe do some digging into Freud and some of his readings. And another book that I personally have read that I think is quite good on the topic of ego is Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Now, as always, if you're a fan of this podcast or you like this podcast, in order to show your support, let us know that you enjoyed it. Take a picture, share it to your story, give it a rating and a review on whatever streaming site you use. That is how you let us know that you enjoy this podcast. That is how you support us. We do not get funded by anybody. We don't get money for this. So your support is the only, only impact or the only feedback we want. Fuck the charts. We just want to know that you're enjoying it and we want to hear your thoughts on it, why you enjoyed it, who you'd like to get on and any guests that you might like to see back on the podcast. This podcast is all for yous. Obviously, I enjoy the conversation, but I'm doing it so that you can take value from it the same as I take value from these conversations. As we near into Christmas and the new year, make sure to be kind to others, to do good things for other people and do good things for yourself. This time of year can be quite quite a lonely or sad time for a lot of people. So make sure you reach out to those friends that you know get a little bit down this time of year or those family members who are alone. You never know when that might be you down the line that might need that person reaching out. Okay? Now, you go off, enjoy your day. Pig loves you. Beat drop!